Well, good morning, everyone. Great to have you here today with us at Anthem. My name's Colin, and I'm one of the leaders here. It's really good to have you out with us. Um, as you know, here at Anthem, we spend a big chunk of our time talking about Jesus and speaking about him and, his, and preaching about his word and what he said and what they mean, and it all starts and ends with him. But um, some of you may, may or may not know that God had actually been at work in the world for centuries before he even sent Jesus to earth. So, you know, we're reading about a character in the Old Testament of the Bible today by the name of Elijah, who was, who was on earth uh, 900 years before Jesus even came to, to, the, to earth. Um, and God had been at work all this time, predominantly in the, in the kingdom of Israel, but um, for the benefit of the nations, the whole world seeing God's light. So over these next few weeks, we wanted to sort of dive into this character, Elijah, and just to see how his life uh, can impact ours. And we've called this, we've called him the anti-hero. Um, and when you think about an anti-hero, you know, you think, think Batman rather than Superman, you know, like a, a hero with some flaws, uh, with some, some inadequacies and with some failings. And Elijah, who is a, like a mouthpiece for God, one of God's prophets in the, in the kingdom of Israel, in the Old Testament, but for a lot of reasons, I think you and I can relate to him as well. And he dealt with some of those very real, uh, very human failings that we're going to look at over these next few weeks. We're going to look at, today's going to be kind of a high point. We're going to like look at some of the lowest points in Elijah's life and see how he kind of pulled all that together. And so I want to just ask you with this, this kind of opening challenge today. And I know it's a difficult question to answer, but let me ask you this. How big is your God? How big is, in your mind, how big is the God that you worship? You might be like, oh, he's, he's pretty big, actually. He's huge. He's, he's enormous. And, and, and like, what can he do? Is there anything that he can do for you? Or is everything that he does, things that happen in one or two ways, I like to call it, you know, the, the ways that we often hear about God doing things that are either long ago or far away. You know, you always hear these stories, and they either happened long ago, like centuries back, or in, in the Bible, or in history, well, God did this, or, or it's far away, or it's, maybe it's in Asia, or it's in Africa, or South America, or somewhere just far from here. And so, so oftentimes, we can, we can often think that, yes, God is powerful, yes, he's probably big, he's probably enormous, but I don't feel like he's close. I feel like the stuff that he does is either long ago or far away. And I want to try and um, hopefully dispel that thought in us a little bit, and... and, and Encourage you to believe that, I, that God is a God who can beat impossible odds in your life and in my life as well. I don't know if you've ever read um, much of the Old Testament, the Bible. The, we're going to be looking at the book, the book of First Kings, First Kings and Second Kings, historical books. It's during a time when the nation of Israel has pretty much turned away from God. They've turned their back on God led by kings and queens, led by King Ahab at the time, who is dis- described as a king who is unevil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, well, let's hope that we don't get described as being people who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, that was, that was a, a bad thing to be written about somebody that lasts in a book for thousands of years. Oh, Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's not a great reference, is it? Um, but this is the, the kind of people that the people of Israel were at the time. They had left their ways of following God, and they've, they've started to do evil in his sight. Ahab's wife, Jezebel, made a habit of putting to death the prophets of God. She is, like, not a great woman. She's an evil woman. There's a reason why there's not many little girls being called Jezebel right now, right? I mean, you don't hear that so often. What did you name her? Jezebel. Okay. You know, like, it's, it's not so... Anyway, 
I'm really, really, really hoping that nobody named their daughter Jezebel from here this morning, because you'll probably be checking your kid right out of kids' program right now, leaving. But anyway, you know, not a popular name, because this woman was evil. She was tearing down the altars that they had set up, that they had installed to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. And they were, they were tearing them down, burning them, and, and worshipping this God, Baal, um, who, was, who, we're gonna, who explained who that was in a minute, but a false god named Baal. And Elijah had gone to King Ahab some time before, and I don't have much time to go into this, and he prophesied, he'd spoken future truth over this country as the mouthpiece of God. He said, Ahab, there's going to be no rain on this earth except by my word. And basically speaking a drought over that nation. And, and it hadn't rained for three years. And in chapter 18, uh, you know, God says, go tell Ahab it's going to rain. And gets an audience with Ahab and Elijah is beginning to develop this deep trust in God. He has seen God work in a number of ways that allowed him to believe God for great things. You know, our trust in people or in God or in anything deepens over time. As we see God fulfill his promise in small things, we can start to believe God for bigger things. And Elijah had developed this, you know, in, in terms of his deposit in his bank of trusting God, this, this deposit was building up and compounding regularly, and he was seeing God at work in incredible ways in his life and in the people around him. And I'm going to speak about this passage that is probably one of the high points of Elijah's life and experience and, uh, and ministry serving God. And he, uh, for, in 1 Kings 18, starts verse 19, he, he saw, the, he saw the, um, uh, the, the people that were going away and, and, and trusting other gods. And he's like, this has got to stop. We've got to have a showdown. We've got to put an end to this. He says this, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on, on Mount Carmel. Now, this is going to take a while, right? Summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. That's not something that just happened in one day. So I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. But bear in mind that this took time to unfold. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. These 850 prophets of dead idols were invited too. These are people that have been, been feasting at the queen's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. It's basically saying, make a decision, people. Basically saying to the nation of Israel in front of these 850 evil prophets, saying, make a decision. If the Lord is God, follow him. Give him everything you've got. Lay down your lives for the Lord Almighty. If Baal is God, go ahead and serve him. Go go ahead and give him all you... Give him all you've got. I guess I kind of want to say the same to us, right? Like, if you're kind of on the fence, make a choice. Make a choice and decide, am I going to serve God or am I going to like, basically go my own way and serve my, serve my own needs and my, my own desires and just go my own way as much as, I like, as much as I want to? And what I find really tough here is this phrase that comes up. It says, but the people said nothing. It's as if they're like, eh, we're still not there, Elijah. We're still, we're still not with you yet. Like, you know, you've, made, you've laid out this challenge. If, if God is God, then serve him. Then lay your lives down for him. But if Baal is God, then serve him. Which is it? It says, the people said nothing. Honestly, that's, that's an easy place to get to. 
I think as, actually as you get older, you know, younger people are, kind of live with sort of an idealism and a, an ability to, to, to commit to something huge. Uh, as, as I've gotten older, I realize, wow, it is harder to stay the course, to stay absolutely committed and say, that is what I'm about. And it's very easy to be in this kind of passive place and just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit this conflict out. I'm just going to stay back on this one. I don't think I'm going to offer my opinion here. And, and, and what, what took place here is that these people were just wishy-washy. They were just wimps. And it, it just says, the people said nothing. They're like, show me. Show me what you got. Show me if your God is for real. Now, I want to sort of take a quick pause from the, from the message here, and I'm going to bring up my friend Kayla, who's coming. Give Kayla a quick round of applause as she comes up. Most of you know her anyway. So this young lady here is the opposite of somebody who would say nothing to pretty much anything, okay? She is always very clear about what she thinks. She's clear about what she wants to do and about uh, just... Uh, Maybe a couple of years ago, we met, uh, actually Eden met Kayla and discovered that we were neighbors. And right away, you got like 100% involved at Anthem. Yeah. There was no stopping her. Um, from the, like a year before the church even existed like this, Kayla was, was involved and it's has here. been. So did you know we're putting pictures of you the whole time you're up here? No. Just well, she didn't. didn't. That's just the I way we roll. <laughs> I didn't give consent. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> So Kayla has been serving in all things like trick-or-treat parties, in parades, in, uh, in the kids' area. As you know, this morning, she was singing so beautifully up here this morning and doing such a great job with that. And we want to uh, thank God for the, for the blessing that she's been to us over this last couple of years. It's been incredible. But you, um, you're going on the other side of the world. Tell us where you're going yeah. in January, so right? In January, I'm going to Australia for six months. Yeah. Why Australia? Okay, so my life goal has been to go to every continent before I die. So I'm like two-sevenths of the way there now. Okay. Europe and America. Have you been to Europe? I've been to Europe and Italy. My family's right there. You've been to Europe and Italy. Excellent. (laughs) Sorry. No, just... um, So you've been to Europe. Sassy. What's the second seventh? Two-sevenths of the way there? Oh, here. Oh, here. Gotcha. Yeah, Yeah. you've been to America. North America, yeah. Um, And, okay, and so she's going, you're going to Australia. Tell us yeah. what's in Australia that you're going to. So in Australia, I'm doing a program called YWAM. It stands for Youth with a Mission. Um, and basically what YWAM is, is it's designed for people around, like, college-aged um, kids to go out after, like, taking a gap year after high school or taking a semester off, which is what I'm doing from college, and just kind of joining together in community with people your age and just growing in God. Um, and then you end up serving people like in need for the next half of the course yeah so what will you be doing exactly like expand yeah a little so bit. i'm doing a dts which stands for discipleship training school so what it is is for three months um it's called the lecture phase so there's two phases so lecture phase i'm going to be diving deep into the bible um just growing a community with um all the people there all my friends um and just learning more about god strengthening my relationship with god and studying that and then for the next three months the second phase is our outreach phase so that's going to be um, basically one big missions trip and we're going to be in indigenous areas of Australia serving people. So you'll be going on some kind of mission somewhere in Australia yes. for those three months mm-hmm. and the three months in Townsville studying, yes. right? Townsville, which is Australia. pretty much the hottest place on God's earth. Okay. Yeah. So, oh yeah, it's two uh, hours And you're out. going in January, which is, January. The, which is the summer as summer. well. So yeah. um, you, you've got some, um, 
you got some, some, some needs, to financial needs. Tell us about that. Yeah, so right now I'm fundraising. It's been a long process, but basically what you can do is donate on the website. So it's called ywamtownsville.org, and it'll bring you through, like, you'll go through a tab called Donate, and it'll, you'll fill out all your information there um, and just donate however amount you want. You, so. You're going to be around till the end of the year. Yeah, right? I'll so. be I'll be around. Yeah. So if you want to, so don't run and hide or anything. Don't run and hide. <laughs> Find you. Um, um. And uh, uh, and Kayla will be uh, still part of the church. Of course, we'll yeah. be praying for her while she's gone. She's very much a part of us and is only going for yeah. six months. We hope. Okay. Uh, although hope. you know what it's like <laughs> when people go to the other side of the world, right? Uh, look what happened to me. So um, <laughs> so I want to encourage all of you to to think. I wonder if God would would want us to support Kayla on this trip. She's got to raise $7,000. I don't, I don't want to set this as a precedent that anybody that ever needs to raise money for anything in the world gets a platform here, but Kayla has been very much a part of being right at the core and the hard work of making this local church happen over the last two years. So we want to honor her, and as she uh, continues in this fundraising uh, phase before her trip in January, I want to just pray with her and ask you to pray with me, um, and we'll just see what, God, what miracles God does over these next few months in preparation and during the time that she's there as well. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that Kayla was nothing short of a gift when we first met her a couple of years ago and has been such uh, an encouragement and an inspiration and uh, such a, a person of faith and, and love to so many people that she comes across. And with bringing her whole family along with her at Anthem, we're so grateful for this family and extended family that has been such a, a big part of our church here in this uh, last period of time. And so we just pray that you will miraculously meet her needs during the coming months, that you will use this time in Australia in January to grow her and use it as an opportunity to, for her to impact your globe and Im- impact the world. And so I pray that you will uh, continue to give her faith for this journey, give her the resources she needs. And Lord, I pray that you'll inspire and encourage us to be involved in that in some way. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Here for Kayla. And just before I jump back into the, the rest of our passage of Scripture here, I do want to mention that um, in November... Uh, we have an opportunity for the men in the room here today to get together, and we are planning on joining uh, Berea Camps, uh, which is up in Hebron, New Hampshire, for man camp. Okay, so that's like, man camp is a 48-hour experience with not just men from uh, Anthem Church, but also men from all other churches across New England, and it's going to be awesome, and I'd encourage you to look that up. There's information in your program about it. You can click on the link, and we would love to take a whole tribe of fellas to man camp that weekend, and I'll be there, Mikey will be there, and as many of our uh, crew as possible to come to man camp. So ladies, for those of you that are married, would you like to let your husband off for a weekend, let him go? Yes. So could that one person please um, get a flyer at the end of the service? And just, well, there'll be three of us apparently at Man Camp. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, let's jump back into this. Um, there's a showdown about to take place. Elijah's summoning the prophets of Baal, and he's summoning the prophets of Asherah, and he's summoning the people of Israel. And he's saying, like, let's, let's find out who's God. If, if Baal is God, serve him. If, if Lord Almighty is God, then serve him. In verse 22, it says this. So Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the prophets of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. 
Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and cut them into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And it says, all the people said, what you say is good. It's as if they're like, sounds, sounds pretty cool. Let's do that. You know, there's a bit of a backstory here as to why they're, why they're up for this challenge. The reason they say what you say is good is because Elijah has basically set them up to win. Because their God is known, their Baal was known as the God that brings rain. He was, he was a God of fertility, so you would hope that he's going to produce. And Baal is a God who's also known for bringing lightning and thunder. He's also the God of fire. These are kind of some of the words that they would use to describe this false God. It's easy, and the symbol of Baal was a bull, okay? And so they, they would put this bull on, on the wood and not, light, not, not, not set light to it as they would with a normal sacrifice that these people would make, but they would allow, the go, allow Baal, the, the, this god, um, to send lightning, to send fire from heaven and to see if that would happen. So these people are saying, this is a good, this is a great plan because this is what our, what our, our god does. So verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. So picture this, these guys are starting at breakfast time, going all the way through till lunch, and they're just calling out to Baal. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response and no one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. Just pictures, I'm not going to dance, just picture this, but these guys are just dancing around this altar for three or four hours, crying out to their God for him to come and set light to this bull, to set light to this sacrifice. Verse 27 says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. He said, surely he's a God. So just that these guys are getting ready to break for lunch. No, keep it going. Keep shouting. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's, uh, he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Elijah just starts taunting these, these followers of this false God. Just says, starts saying, come on, what have you got? Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe, he got, maybe your God's traveling. Maybe he's busy. And you've you got to know right here that your English Bible has been cleaned up right here. You know that? Some of you might already know this, but like the original Hebrew language for this word, maybe your God is busy. It wasn't maybe your God is busy. It was maybe your God's on the potty. Okay, literally, that's the translation. If you look in the complete Jewish Bible, that's the translation even into English. Maybe your God's gone to the bathroom. In fact, it's probably a lot more base than that. Elijah's basically saying, maybe your God's on the crapper and you've got to like hit on the door and just let him know, hey God, it's time to get off the pot. We've got stuff to do, right? He's, this is, I'm not making this up. Go look it up, right? But this, this taunting that Elijah was doing was basically getting these prophets of Baal realizing, our God ain't showing up. Where is he? There's a lot of sarcasm in this whole thing. And, and Elijah just basically let him know, listen, if your God has got it, let him bring the fire. Verse 28 says, so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Imagine the cost in following this God. You know, next time you're challenged to 
to give more of your life to Jesus Christ. Think about this. They slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Nothing. No one paid attention because there was no one there. They're worshiping an idol. They're worshiping a false god. An idol is something that we put in the place where God should be. An idol is something that we choose to raise up to where to where God should be. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments was, was, you shall have no other gods before me. And these people would make physical gods. They'd get a, a, a stool and, and fashion the leg into something and say, okay, that's going to be my God from now on. And they'd actually make what they would call a God and they would pray to it and they would sacrifice to it. But I want to tell you something about idols that I, I believe from the core of my being. And we face idols today. Maybe they take a different form, but we face idols today. And that's this. The idols... Never deliver. Idols will never come through with what we think that they are promising us. You know, we put all kinds of things in the place of where God should be, right? It starts really at a really early age. We, it starts with our toys. It's, we, just, we have this thing and parents, we just get sucked into this so easily. Like Our kids are like, oh, I'll be so happy if I have this one thing, right? You know, like that, that one toy is going to fix everything. And then we give them that one toy and like, you know, like two days later, they're back to being who they, their own sinful, evil self again, right? You know, it's like, oh, dang it, I thought I was going to fix everything and it didn't. But it starts that way and it never seems to change because we are always looking out for the next possession that we're looking for. We're looking for the next relationship. Or something, maybe a person's going to make me happy. Maybe it's time that's going to happy that's going to make me happy. Maybe it's like, oh, once I'm out of once I'm out of school, I'll be happy. Once I'm out of college, I'll be happy. Once I'm out of debt, I'll be happy. You know, once I'm once I'm married, once I've once I've done this, once I'm parenting, I'll be happy. Anything that we put in place of where God should be will claim to give us ha- happiness is an idol, and it never delivers what it promises. If we put our relationships ahead of God. We won't find happiness in that if it becomes an idol. You know, even marriage, and a lot of people think that the, you know, the ultimate dream is to find a partner and be married, and yet if we put marriage ahead of where God should be, that won't make us happy. If we put the, a life partner in the place of where our relationship with God should be, that isn't going to bring us happiness either, and it never delivers. And Elijah creates this great setup to show idol worshippers that idols don't deliver. So often we're just sucked into that idea that, um, that people or relationships, possessions, toys, stuff, or money is going to be the thing that is going to bring fulfillment. I'm going to pause to receive our offering here because we do this every week. And, and it's when, we, when we receive an offering uh, to give to God, it's a reminder to those of us who participate in that that we give to God out of our finances and out of our resources first and then you know, we, we live on what's left over rather than we, we, we live on everything and then, and then realize there's nothing left for God. But as I give, and we have a, a box at the back, the generosity box at the back for any, any gifts, and so many of you give online as well on a regular basis and, and give to, for us to be reminded and for, for God to know that, God, you come first in my finances. You come first in that area of my life. And I encourage those, those of you who are married, I encourage those of you who are married to make this a part of your marriage 
where you discuss, what is our giving going to look like? What is our, how are we going to sacrifice financially? We've always said at Anthem that we want to be a church that is open-handed, that we live open-handedly. That's why I want to bring somebody up like Kayla, who is one of us, who is doing something that we want to send her out, send her out in faith and, and say, this might be something God's calling you to support. So oftentimes our, our finances are the thing that we put ahead of our relationship with God. C.S. Lewis said this, and this is a quote that I've said a number of times here in the last year or so. If we find ourselves with a deep desire in this world that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation, this is speaking logically, he was like a famous Oxford scholar, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. This This world isn't our home. God created us for something far greater. And so if you wander around in life thinking, it feels like nothing in this world can satisfy me. It's the most probable explanation is that we were built through and designed for another world. This is just a temporary location. And your answer to, to happiness and fulfillment is not a physical answer. It's a spiritual one. It's not an idol. It's God. And only God can deliver. And Elijah wanted to prove that this day. Verse 30 says this, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Remember Ahab and Jezebel? Jezebel had basically been tearing down the altars that had been set up to Almighty God. And Elijah's in this place where now he's got to repair and rebuild the altar of the Lord. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. A, it's important that he does that. He's, he's basically saying, look, think of all the history that has taken place in the kingdom of Israel. Think of all the way that God has brought these people, has delivered them, has created these 12 tribes. And he's saying, almost in the name of the 12 tribes of Israel, watch what God does to you. It would be like, if it was today, it would be like, this message is brought to you by the 12 tribes of Israel. So now I approve this message, you know, because he's, he's basically giving sponsorship, giving reference to what he's doing and showing that, um, that what he's doing is in the name of the kingdom of Israel. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the, the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying that your name shall be Israel. And it says this, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seers of seed. And so it must have taken some significant time to dig this trench. He arranged the wood. He cut the bull into pieces. It's a bull, people. It's not a chicken or anything, right? This takes a while, right? He cuts the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, he says to the people, presumably the people of Israel and these prophets of Baal and Asherah standing around, he says to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Ludicrous, right? If you're going to set fire to something, water's kind of an opposite, right? They don't work so well, okay? It's like pour water on it. Let's prove what's going on here. he's, He's setting up a situation where... Only God can come through. He's setting up a situation where there is no way that this could be him making this happen. I got a magician in my family. My brother's a magician. Some of you have met him. He was in town last week doing a show in Boston, and, and we just got to hang out. And there's some of the stuff that he does, which I'm like, 
blown away by it. I, I sit and I look at it, and I'm like, how does he do that? He's been doing the same stuff for years, and I still don't get it. But I know it's just trickery. All right, this is not that, okay? This is Elijah basically pouring water on something that he wants to have set fire. He's crying out and asking God to do it. He says to the people that have poured the water on the, on the altar and on the, on the wood and on the fire, uh, sorry, and on the bull, he says, do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. And the water ran, around, ran down around the altar and filled the trench. Imagine this scene, this, this wet bull and wet wood and, and water just falling down over this, all throughout this trench, dousing this thing three times with water to prove that what is about to take place is a complete 100% miracle of God. And at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back to you again. You see what he's doing here? Why is, why is he asking for this miracle? This, maybe right here, maybe this sets it apart from a lot of the miracles that we tend to ask God for. We tend to ask God for miracles that actually it, it, like help our worldview, you know, help where we're at, help what we see in the world around us, help the people that are around us. Elijah's asking God for something to do two things. He's asking that, that this miracle will happen so that people will know that you are God. I want this to happen so that you will be glorified, so you'll be exalted, so people will know who you are, and that, so that their hearts will be turned back to you. So, God, will you do this miracle so that people will, will remember who you are and start to follow you again? He's standing there. He's like, God, there is nothing in this for me at all. And verse 38, this is the big one right here. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell, boom, burned up the sacrifice. The fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. Soil and, and stones don't tend to be consumable, do they, right? The fire of God fell and, and burned up the soil and the stones and also licked up the water in the trench. Like, don't miss the drama in this moment, right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I don't know how often you've seen fire fall from heaven, right? I mean, not so much, but suddenly... Boom, like right down from heaven, there's this ball of fire that hits the ground and just eat like 1.21 gigawatts of electricity right there. Eats up absolutely every piece of every part of this, of this sacrifice, the wood, the trench, the soil, everything, like it's gone. There's nothing but a big hole in the ground. It's enough to make the entire community just hit their knees. It's the we're not worthy moments. You know what I mean? They're, they're down. They're like, God, you are God. We can't think that this is something that Elijah just maneuvered. These people turned and repented and followed God immediately. And God made it absolutely clear that idols never deliver. Now, here's the deal. Like, that God never died, right? That God is still the same God that we worship today. Do you believe he's any less able today to meet our needs? He's still able to do all the things that he's ever done. It's easy to believe that, oh, God will only ever heal people through doctors. Uh, you know, he'll only provide money by people working harder. And he'll only 
help people through with their mental illness by seeing a really good counselor from Harvard or something like that. But honestly, I don't want to believe in a God that it's only a little bit better than us. I don't want to believe in a God that's just slightly cleverer than I am. Because pretty soon I'll find some, it won't take long, trust me, I'll find somebody who's cleverer than I am, you know, and they can help me with my problem. I need a God who is a miracle-working God, who can do the impossible. I don't want a God who can do just slightly better things than I can. He's the God that raised Jesus from the dead, the greatest miracle of all. Jesus, in, just dead for three days. Remember that? We talked about this the other week, that that number of completion, the number three. You know, Elijah asked people to, to douse this, uh, this sacrifice three times. And Jesus is in the grave for three days, and God raises him from the dead. And I think the second greatest miracle that, that God could do is to turn your heart and my heart to him when we've spent our entire lives going the other way. It may be that today God wants to say to God is saying to you, how about you turn around and you face me for the first real time in your life and you start to actually say, okay, God, you are God and I am not. I, don't, I want to release control. I want to let go of some of the things that I've been saying. This is me. This is mine. This is the way I do things. And I know that I need to start releasing control to God. It's the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And he's the, he's the He's the God who loves impossible odds. When the odds are stacked against him, that's when God loves to come through. And the prophets started just shouting out, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. The Bible says in verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord. He is God. You know what the Lord, He is God, in Hebrew is? In the language that they were saying, it's Elijah. Elijah. It was, it, that was Elijah's name. Was, Elijah's name meant the Lord, He is God. And maybe, these, I don't know what these people experienced at that moment when they started crying out, the Lord, He is God. They realized, right, and that's, that's His prophet right there. They're, they're, they're crying out to the name of God and declaring who He is, that yes, your God, we repent and we turn our, way to, uh, turn our ways to you. And that intrinsically connects who Elijah is to God. A little bit later, Elijah goes out to the top of the mountain. He puts his head between his legs and he prays. He says, God, bring the rain. He starts to pray earnestly, God, bring the rain. And a little bit later, he gets his servant and he says to his servant, hey, go out. Go out to the sea. Go out to the, to the, to the water, probably the Mediterranean, and, and tell me, is there a cloud coming? Is there, is there rain coming? And the servant comes back. He's like, nope, nothing. So Elijah prays again. He sends his servant again, and he prays again, and he prays again, and he prays seven times. And after seven times, his servant comes back. He says, there's a, there's a cloud. There's a cloud coming in from the sea, and it's the size of a man's hand. And God says, okay, go tell Ahab. The rain's coming. Sometimes we need to see the cloud the size of a man's hand and realize God is working. God's on his way. God is not slow to respond. Now, what do we do with this? James 5.17 says, talks, this is in the New Testament. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, writing this short letter to followers of Jesus all across uh, the known world at the time. And he's saying, Elijah was a man just like us. He wrote in James 5, 17. He says, Elijah was a human being just as we are. 
He prayed earnestly that, w- that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And he said this, like, Elijah was a human being just like we are. There was nothing special about Elijah. If anything, we experienced something different because when the Holy, the Holy Spirit landed on individual people back in that time in, in, in Israel's days in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would land for specific seasons on specific individuals. On the day of Pentecost, after Peter preached to the thousands of people, the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit filled everybody. Today, we all experience as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit filling us in a way that only unique individuals like Elijah experienced. Elijah was a human being just like us. Please don't miss out on coming to church next week. Not just because we're moving to the double tree. Don't forget the double tree. But not just because of that reason, but because I want you to see that Elijah went from this experience to a serious moment of depression where he wanted to kill himself. He wanted God to take his life. Like he was a human just like we are. Elijah didn't have an edge on us. He had the same struggles. He had the same doubts. He had the same periods of anxiety and fear and and depression that sometimes we have. But he was aware of a big and powerful and amazing, huge God who was able to do miraculous things. And so here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do what Elijah did. That verse again, James 5, 17. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain. Like, we're supposed to pray. Pray on your own. Pray with friends. Pray in groups. Like, if you need support, don't, don't exist on your own. Ask for prayer. Ask for friends to put their hand on your shoulder and, and, and you know, put their arm around you and pray with you. Pray in a restaurant. Pray in your basement. Pray in your room. Pray together. Pray shouting. Pray crying. Continue to pray and ask God. To meet your need. And I remember, uh, we're going to sing a song in a moment, and band, you can come up and join us on the stage to get ready for that. I remember so clearly when, when God sort of was in the process of asking um, us to come to, to Boston to, to lead Anthem, that feeling this sense right in the, in the middle of a service at, at church, uh, I was just sat down in my seat, and God said to me, God spoke to me, and it was as much the audible voice of God that I've probably ever heard. That God just said to me, go to Boston and declare the name of a God for whom nothing is impossible. And like, grab my iPad right away. Go to Boston and declare the name of a God for whom nothing is impossible. God was reminding me, none of this is in our strength. None of this is because we're going to figure something out and make something happen. It's all because God is incredible. And there is, like, impossible isn't in God's vocabulary. And we're going to sing this song right now. And uh, why don't you stand together? We're going to sing a song in a moment. And the it's called When Heaven Breaks Through. And I want you to sing this song like you've never done it before, but the bridge of this song says this, All fear is broken. Truth will undo lies that were spoken when heaven breaks through. So many things come in and around, and around our lives that give us reason to fear and to just see the kingdom of this world rather than see the kingdom of heaven breaking through. Joy overwhelming. Old is made new. Death lays defeated when heaven breaks through. And we're going to sing together. And while we're doing it, I want to uh, encourage you to, uh, if you want to, take this card that you were given when you came into the service this morning. And it, it's called a Connect card. And it gives you an opportunity to connect with us. And if you're here for the first time at Anthem, 
it'd be great if you just put your name and email and phone number on there. We can stay in touch and you can check some boxes if you'd like us to get in touch with you for anything, like to get to know us. Be glad to have a coffee with anyone here that's new. But if uh, for anybody that's here today, you've got this card, you've got a pen, I want to encourage you to just write something under the comments and prayer requests. Write something in that section that you're, you're asking God for right now that you're realizing this is out of my control. I need God to show up in this area of my life. I need God to do a miracle in my life. And we're going to put those up here in a moment. But like just for now, as we sing, let's sing. And if you want to take a moment during this song to just to write what, what you're asking God to do in your life. And you can put your name on it or not. You can leave it completely anonymous. That's totally up to you. But just let's, let's engage God in our lives and say, this stuff that I'm dealing with is too big for me. And I want to ask you, God, will you meet me in my time of need? We're going to do something with these in a few moments. But let's sing and worship together as we sing this song, When Heaven Breaks Through.